Welcome to the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our award-winning mix of special programs and homemade radio features. I'm Katie Ganaway with Brett Tannehill Producing. Stay tuned to hear from Tennessee Valley women finding ways to elevate their voices in politics. We envision a society where power and possibility are not limited by gender. We revisit a conversation with one of the early women engineers at NASA, Dr. Joyce Neighbors. He wasn't going to have my job. I had 16 years. I wasn't going to start over. We hear from women excelling in Alabama's manufacturing field. Schools, community centers, churches, whatever we can to make sure that we're opening the doors for everyone. All that, plus a panel discussion on navigating the local music scene as a woman. Up next on the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville. This is the Public Radio Hour on 89.3 Huntsville, our weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features. It's good to have you with us tonight. I'm your host, Katie Ganaway, with Brett Tannehill producing, and we hope you're washing your hands and practicing safe social distancing. The women in our community are doing a whole lot to open doors for the future generation of female leaders in the workforce and to achieve equity with their male counterparts. Tonight, you'll hear a panel discussion from local women in music previously heard on our local music show, Valley Sounds. Plus, two women in leadership roles at Mazda Toyota tell us their plans to attract more women to careers in manufacturing. And stay tuned for the story of how Dr. Joyce Neighbors paved the way for women everywhere in engineering. Dr. Neighbors passed away in February. But first, the Women's Fund of Greater Birmingham teams up with Reckon Alabama to hear from women in Madison County about the changes they want to see in their community and the ways they're already making progress. The National Conference of State Legislatures published data last July that shows less than 16% of the Alabama legislature is made up of women. With 2020 being an election year, female entrepreneurs joined reporters at AL.com to organize a series of workshops titled A Seat at the Table, meant to empower Alabama women to advocate for issues that resonate most with them. We first hear from a few women and what they hope to learn more about today. Hi, my name is Kimberly Ferguson. I live in Madison County in the Providence area. I'm a teacher's aide and a single mother and a college student. Unity for women, standing up for each other, because right now we don't have that. Mostly men make all the decisions in this state. We need women of all races to sit at the table like we're doing today and bring input to better the city. My name's Holly and I live in Madison and I'm retired federal from the federal government. I think it's very hard to find people that are nonpartisan, that have like issues to handle. So I think it's important to get a group of people together, women, that the issues are the same. At the Madison Public Library, hosts of A Seat at the Table provide a platform for a panel of experts on women's issues to answer questions posed by local women. We can all make change exactly where we are. 
That's Melanie Bridgeforth, who is helping host the event. She's the CEO of the Women's Fund of Greater Birmingham, which connects Alabama women with groups that advocate for the specific issues in which they are interested. We're going to have some conversation. We're going to understand some of the issues a little deeper. And then we want to be trained and understand how do we actually go to Montgomery or to a local city council or anywhere where decisions are being made and actually have our voice heard and take our seat, our rightful seat at the table. Bridgeforth and Kelly Ann Scott, vice president of Alabama Media Group, lead the discussion. Panelists include Kim Cottle Lewis, CEO of Huntsville's Project XYZ Inc., owner of Susan Kennedy Consulting, Susan Kennedy, and Anna Claire Vollers and Abby Crane, reporters for AL.com who both write on women's issues. The mic is passed around the room, and Angela Curry, director of the Huntsville nonprofit United Women of Color, voices her concerns about the lack of diverse representation in Madison County. My name is Angela Curry. I'm executive director of United Women of Color, a nonprofit organization here in Madison County. Increasing representation. So locally in Huntsville, we have five city council members, so they represent over 40,000 people in one district. Madison, the city, has over 40,000 people, and they have seven city council representatives. So when you increase representation, you allow more inclusion because you can have those 52% of women running for these offices. I've had several things that happened this past year. Like I was saying, I was the chairman of the board of the chamber, so there were so many women that came up to me afterwards and saying, thank you for representing our community. Thank you for being that voice when it wasn't. That's Cottle Lewis, who goes on to say how she elevated her voice to benefit women in North Alabama. I mean, we created the first um, second chance job fair under my leadership at the chamber. So it's just one of those things that we took those little steps that's got started a whole big conversation. I'm not sure that they even knew that it was an issue until they realized it was something that was going to affect their paycheck. So now they're having those conversations and realizing stuff has got to change and they've got to be inclusive to women. Other issues mentioned ranged from child care to Alabama's abysmal maternal death rate, the third highest in the nation in 2018, according to the National Center for Health Statistics at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report. The conversation today ends with a crash course on how to get out there and start advocating for these issues. And with new knowledge gained and connections made, attendees start heading out. The big question, what will they take away from this workshop? I'm Camille Bennett. I'm a small business owner and nonprofit founder, and I'm from Florence, Alabama. I'm on fire every day, all day. I would say this is another spark to the flame. Yes, yes, for sure. I'm Cameron Dawson. I'm a staff attorney with A Better Balance, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. So finding out what are your values, what is important to you at this time, and who is highlighting those issues, there's some community leader that wants to hear your voice, and they're going to make sure that your issues are addressed. Find links to organizations mentioned in this story on the podcasted version of this show at WLRH.org. You can also follow the Reckon Alabama Facebook page to read more stories on the issues impacting Alabama women. Next up on the Public Radio Hour, here on 89.3 Huntsville, a massive development in the automotive industry is set to open in Alabama next year. Mazda Toyota Manufacturing aims to achieve gender equity in the manufacturing field. A 2016 Deloitte study showed only 29% of the U.S. manufacturing workforce is made up of women. 
Emily Rogers is Mazda Toyota's communications specialist. Michelle White is a quality inspection manager. They talked with me about how they got their foot in the door and soared to leadership roles. So my story is a little bit different, um, definitely different than Michelle's, as you'll hear later. Um, I did not think that manufacturing was on my horizon um, for quite some time. I've been a communications professional for the last you know, 10 to 15 years, um, and I've worked in DOD, I've worked in tech. Um, most recently, I worked in a nonprofit role here in Huntsville, and um, I don't think I had ever thought about manufacturing as something that I would do. I wasn't sure there was room in manufacturing for someone with my skill set. Um, and really through being engaged in the community and volunteer work and also my work in nonprofit, I, I caught wind of Mazda Toyota manufacturing and what, what Mazda and Toyota was doing with this joint venture in our community to really position themselves to be a hometown company and really uh, change the fabric of North Alabama. And it sounded so, so exciting that I started to think, oh my gosh, maybe I want to work in manufacturing, which felt kind of crazy to me. Um, and I kept an eye on some of the positions and such and ended up finding a role that I felt like did match my skill set, knowing that I knew nothing about the industry um, and decided to go for it. And um, I've been so thrilled with that process. I've never been at a place that's so open to you being a student of what we're doing, right? I, I feel like I learn so much every day and um, I know how to do communications. I know how to tell people things. I like words, but learning about what we do and how we're building something from scratch is super exciting and really empowering. Um, and I'm just really excited that I've been able to be a part of it so far, and I'm excited about the future for Mazda Toyota Manufacturing. So. so so what are some of the duties that you're responsible for in your position? Yeah, so we joke at my house that my job is reply all. That's <laughs> kind of my role. Um, but also preventing others from replying all, let's be real. Mm. Um, so I'm really over our um, making sure that all the people know where everyone is, what's going on, critical information that's vital to each department to collaborate well, innovate together, not in silos. It's really my job to try to figure out what information is relevant for everyone to share and bubble it up to a space where we all can interpret it and understand it well, and then use that to go and be efficient and get our jobs done in our different areas and then be able to come back together and, and see you know where we can support and who needs to know what. Um, so daily communications, regulatory communications, and then also company-wide efforts to you know try to identify and celebrate and engage with our team members and really recognize people for their contributions across our company. And Michelle, I want to hear your story as well. How did you start? How did you get interested in the manufacturing industry? It's not so much that I chose manufacturing as my life situation chose it. I was a burly tobacco producer. So I had been in college and had written a paper on Toyota. And it interested me on how they were set up. They have more at the middle and the beginning and less at the top when it comes to management. And that just really intrigued me. Whereas typical businesses at the time in the United States were not structured that way. So I was tired and worked seven days a week, 365 days a year farming. There was no money. Uh, it was hard labor. 
Um, we used uh, one of the first in the state to have migrant labor, which was awesome to learn and expand my knowledge about uh, other individuals from other places in the world. But I said, I'm going to go to Toyota. I was scared because I knew nothing about manufacturing, but I thought I'm going to give this a shot. And when the lady asked me, why do you want to work at Toyota? I told her, I said, I brought three little boys into this world. They didn't ask to be here. And I need to house them, clothe them, and feed them. She looked at me, she nodded her head, and I got the job. And they hired me into Body Weld, of all places, right? And when they come to pick me up at the front, there was only two of us at the time, and they said, Michael White. And I was like, oh, oh, that's why you put me in Body Weld. You put me in Body Weld because you think I'm a guy. <laughs> and the man just laughed. I'll never forget his face. He laughed, and he said, no, ma'am. He said, we're going to teach you everything you need to know. And they most certainly did. And I worked there for 25 years. And in that time frame, I worked in body weld. And in body weld, I did MIG welding. I did body repair, shell body, which is just the outside of your car, the metal piece, and pilot, that's new models. And I had a very severe injury. I went to quality control. And when I went to quality control, I was a team member. It was exciting. It's learning about standards and what we give to our customers. However, I didn't appreciate the way they treated their individuals. They never said a rude word or cussed, like in body well, it was rough, but you knew you were a value. You knew you were very important. Somebody's life depended on what you did. And so at that time, I was shoved into leadership because I'm like, no, I'm going to make the difference happen right where I'm at. I was a female. I came from a shop body weld. There were very few women. We were far and few between. And we had to prove that we were just as capable as everyone else. And so when I went to the team leader role, I was addicted. I found my niche. I love to develop other people and see them succeed and challenge them. And you get so much paid back when you treat people with respect and you invest in them. I was told that I would never be an assistant manager. And I was told that by a few people, but one in particular that had was concerning was a female. I leaned in and I found out and seeked out what was it gonna take and I made the leaps and there were people that invested in me, right? So I became assistant manager. And from that assistant manager, I kept on going and became a manager. I was the first female manager at Toyota Motor Manufacturing over 30 years that came from the floor in quality. I actually had the opportunity to go to assembly, which had never happened either. And I said, I'll go, because the gentleman that offered it to me had been with me the whole time I was growing. And I want to say something, that he was never easy on me, right? He challenged me to the point makes your brain hurt, but he believed in me. So true equity there. Oh, my goodness. Yes, ma'am. So he offered me, because he'd become a vice president, he offered me that opportunity, and I grabbed it. I knew nothing about assembly. And when I got there, I had like 10 group leaders, 40-some, 50 team leaders, no female group leaders, and only three or four team leaders that were females. But by the time I left assembly, I had one of the team leaders that was a female. She was going to go for group leader. And I had team members that told me they had never thought about being a team leader until I became their assistant manager at the time. 
a number from Toyota reported was 29 percent mm-hmm. of women make up that industry in the entire U.S. And I wonder at Mazda Toyota, uh, Emily, what sort of plans are in place to boost that number? Because we're a greenfield startup, right, we have all these other duties as assigned, I guess you could say. We all come on board for a certain role that we are, you know, equipped for and excited for, et cetera. But there's all these other pieces to what we're doing right now because of the startup nature of Mazda Toyota Manufacturing. One of the things that um, as a communications professional that I do get to participate in is our recruiting and hiring efforts. Mm -hmm. And um, we have made a commitment loud and proud to hire a diverse, dynamic workforce. Um, We want to reach every community in North Alabama. We want to reach um, individuals who, you know, maybe don't know about a career in manufacturing, but also those that, you know, have always been doing this type of thing and are ready for a change or ready for something exciting and new. Um, because of the collaboration of our two parent companies, we have some really cool technologies. We have some really advanced approaches to how we're going to make these made in Alabama vehicles um, that bring a new spin on maybe if someone's been working in the same role at the same um, company for quite a while, they can come over and join us and, and be challenged in a new way. Um, So we have a lot of efforts around recruiting and hiring that we are challenging ourselves to look at every data point, every metric we can to make sure we are meeting every every community, telling them about these jobs, inviting them to come learn about these jobs, Um, women, um, underserved communities, communities that are primarily people of color, communities that are rural and not reached and have a hard time accessing the internet and maybe don't know the typical ways to access a job. Um, We're communicating with schools, community centers, churches, whatever we can to make sure that we're opening the doors for everyone and removing barriers to employment. And um, this is the type of employment that could change someone's life. It could change their families. Um, Every time I talk about it, I get goosebumps because this is the type of job that will impact your family for generations. These type of wages with these type of benefits, with this type of growth opportunity um, and the leadership like Michelle, like so many of our powerful leaders that are going to invest in every person we bring on. Um, so that's really what we're doing. It's a it's a holistic approach. It's a lot to tackle. Um, we have fantastic partners throughout our community supporting us, but um, we're weird. That is top of mind. That is a commitment that we have made internally and externally to hire a diverse workforce. Michelle, you mentioned going into your career, you've been told, no, you can't do it uh, as a female. And do you think that's why the percentage is so low as it stands right now? Or, and I wonder also, are there efforts on behalf of Mazda Toyota to expose these girls and women to this industry uh, in school, in the workplace? What sort of outreach efforts are, are there as well? When it comes to the production floor, there are very few females in leadership roles. I'm, I mean, very few. You're you would be probably astonished at the number, the percentage. In Alabama or across the U.S.? Across the U.S. Mm -hmm. That's in a leadership role in production, the floor area. Mm -hmm. And I do think a big piece of it is just like me. I didn't think, Emily, I don't think that I could be part of manufacturing, Mm -hmm. and that is just simply not so. They don't understand the opportunities that exist. I didn't leave Toyota Motor Manufacturing because I was unhappy. I had a great career. I left it because I want to spread the word and get women, people of color, different backgrounds, different 
different generations. So you reach out everywhere you go. I represent Mazda Toyota very proudly. My individuals, I want to make them successful. So I do that by getting personal, relating, right? They're an owning. So it's like giving. You know, when you donate, it makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. I'm donating. I'm donating my knowledge, my time. I have had to rebrand myself, and I've had to say no when others wanted to brand me. And I have never been so depressed as the time that, at the time, my leadership did not like me. And so they didn't want me to be talkative. They didn't want me to be expressive. They didn't want me to share ideals, which is in the core of Toyota, you want to know. And so I didn't know any other way to be. I've been my way since I was a little girl, and it was awful. And finally I said, this is crazy. There's going to be biases. There's going to be roadblocks. And how you take something that's negative like a severe injury and move beyond it. Don't stay there. You're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days, but how you move and learn through those bad situations is very empowering. And I want to hear from both of you uh, as we close. Anything that you would like to add and some advice that you have to give to our female listeners who may be thinking of entering this industry, what it takes, what what you have to say to them. Emily? This jump or this career move for someone can feel really intimidating, and it shouldn't. But there's a certain level of, you know, making the shift to jump into an industry you're not comfortable with or not familiar with. I cannot speak for other companies, right? I can speak for Mazda Toyota Manufacturing, and I know that I was kind of welcomed in in this space of, we're going to teach you what you need to know. We're going to equip you with what you need. And also, we're going to see where you naturally excel. Michelle? For women, it doesn't matter your age. Believe it or not, I I spoke about this the other night. Sometimes the older you get, the more insecure you get. You get more secure in certain things, but taking a leap and a change in your career is not one. I'm telling you, you're like, whoa, I don't know. So it doesn't matter the age. And I really want to talk about this because this is why Emily's feeling the way she's feeling. It is uh, called Mendomi. So Mendomi means family. So when if I see Tony come to work and she just doesn't look like Tony normally does, I need to reach out to Tony and find out why. It is a very family atmosphere. We do it with our process setups. It's not just if Emily's still feeling bad or she got stuff going on in our personal life and we want to be there and say, hey, you need somebody to talk to, you need something, you let us know, we'll figure out some things. It goes further. It goes all the way down to the floor where we do process setup. It's not just we're going to be here in a plant and we're going to work. Mm-mm, no. This is our family, our larger family. So they're going to get that when they come to Mazda Toyota Manufacturing. It is alive and well. Production at the Mazda Toyota Manufacturing Site has been delayed due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, but that has not affected the joint company's hiring process. Interviews are being conducted via video or phone call. You can find out how to apply at mazdatoyota.com. This is the Public Radio Hour on member-supported 89.3 Huntsville. I'm your host, Katie Ganaway. 
In this episode, we are exploring how women are working to elevate their voices in the professional world. When Dr. Joyce Neighbors first started out in the 1950s, she was the first woman to join Dr. Werner von Braun's rocket team in a technical role and was one of the earliest female engineers at NASA. Among her many contributions was her leadership. She led a team that calculated the flight path of the rocket that launched Explorer. America's first satellite. Dr. Neighbors passed away in February at the age of 89. A couple of years ago, she spoke with Public Radio Hour producer Brett Tannehill and Marshall Space Flight Center historian Brian Odom and gave one of our all-time favorite interviews. I grew up in poverty, and there was no encouragement from anyone in, in my teaching or that was in the family, no one had an education. And so I didn't have uh, any motivation toward STEM. I was a quick learner, and my mother was a genius. She had been denied an education because her dad said, women don't need an education. We need you here to help with our babies. She was totally frustrated her whole life that she was not able to get an education. So the motivation was not necessarily for STEM, but it was for education. And I didn't have any encouragement from school. I did well in physics and math, and I knew when I was in the fifth grade that I was gifted in math because the teacher had a problem that she could not work. We had a problem in the book. I worked that problem, and the teacher could not do it. But anyway, when the Jacksonville State came to recruit students from my senior high school, they asked who all is going to college, and I raised my hand. When they left, my teacher called me out, And she told me, said, I saw you raise your hand. Now, you know you're not going to college. Your parents can't send you. I have a very good friend that is a nurse, head nurse in Birmingham. And I want you to think about, I will put in a good word for you. And I said, well, Mrs. Yarbrough, I don't want to be a nurse. And she said, oh, darling, you don't go to surgery the first day. She was very proper. Uh, I said, yeah, I know you carry the bedpan a couple of years, and then you can go to surgery. I was so angry with her. I mean, I didn't like her anyway, and she did not like me. But I do think she was sincere about helping me, but only what I deserved to be helped. Um, Because women could either be teachers, nurses, secretaries. That's what, at the backward area that I came from, which is still pretty backward, uh, those were the things that women could do. And it, it has, of course, improved from there. But I didn't start college until I was 19. I had graduated at 17. And the reason I didn't, I couldn't find a job that paid enough money to save anything. So I was a telephone operator. And 
my brother went to Auburn for uh, to register for his master's degree. He had come out of the World War II and had a GI Bill, and and uh, I rode down to Auburn with him, but I didn't know anything about a campus. I knew nothing about how, uh, who did what to whom, and a, you know, the registrar or anybody that could maybe have even helped me get a scholarship. But uh, anyway, he took several hours, and I went over to the telephone office because I knew some connection there. And I was talking with the chief operator, and she told me, she said, now we've got a girl that is graduating this uh, year that works 4 to 12 at night, and that position is open. I thought, man, if somebody else can do it, I know I can do it. And so, so I did. And I uh, worked for the telephone office. And uh, I wasn't encouraged to engineering. I was discouraged. Uh, I didn't know as much as I needed to. You know, I grew up, we didn't have telephone. We didn't have running water. We didn't even have electricity. We didn't have newspaper. I mean, we. I grew up kind of in a tribe of <laughs> relatives, and that was all I knew. And none of them had education. So there was, there was, I was just out in the world, you know, and tried to find. But I, I was also bright enough to, you know, pick up on what to do and so forth. Once you got going into college and, and you began to move on and think about careers, what career opportunities in the math and science world did you think were open to you, or how did you find out about those? I didn't. I just wanted an education. But my brother had majored in mathematics, so I majored in mathematics, but I did a double minor in physics. And when I got through that, uh, when I graduated, I did a year of, gra of graduate work in physics. The engineering department was very closed. They didn't forbid women, but they discouraged women. And I didn't think I had the skills to uh, take on the engineering department to try to make myself a part of it. So I, I settled for math and physics, but mainly physics, because that was the thing I would want to have a master's in. Uh, I did get married from, um, I, I graduated in 54, and I got married Christmas 53, and I graduated in March of 54. I did take all of my electives in engineering. Okay. I was not welcome in some of the classes, in one of the classes. But uh, he announced that he thought I, to the whole class, he thought I was wasting my time and his too. He picked on me the whole semester or quarter, and I worked my butt off to be sure I had answers to whatever he wanted to ask. At the end of the semester, I had a spider bite on my ankle, and it swelled up real big, and they put me in the infirmary, and I missed my final exam. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've had it now. He can flunk me because they can give me a zero on the final exam. And 
As soon as I got out of the infirmary, I went to his office and asked him, when could I take the the exam? And he said, well, anytime you want to. He said, but Miss Kerr, I want to tell you, you're one of the best students I have ever taught. I mean, I was so pleased to hear him. He said, if you ever need someone to give you a recommendation, you can certainly use me. He had been retired from Bell Labs, which back then was the uh, technology center in the U.S. But anyway, that was a very nice uh, turnaround that uh, uh, he did learn something, I think, from having me in his class because he thought women just couldn't hack it, you know, and most of us can't. Uh, even now, you know, there's it's, there's still some barriers, mental barriers there, I think. Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, all these experiences you've had up until this point, the barriers that existed. What are some of those barriers that are there? I mean, I'm sure you're one of very few women who are working in the, you know, in the areas that you're working in. What What were some of those barriers there? Well, there were two mathematicians that were already there, uh, Billy Robinson and um, Doris Chandler were both there. I think Billy was the first woman at with the Von Braun team that was of a technical nature. Uh, Doris, I believe, was, well, of course, she would have been second, and I was, I was the third woman. But they had not hired anyone that was um, competitive in the engineering arena because physics and engineering are pretty much parallel. They just separate out when it comes to applications, uh, but the fundamentals of physics and engineering are the same. What were some of the first projects that you really got involved in? Uh, in 56, uh, I came there. And, uh, well, I did the trajectory for the first 29C missile which went in August before uh, the Russians went in October. And I did the trajectory and the tilt program. Uh, Eisenhower had specified that the Navy would be first to launch. I believe they had someone in Defense Department checking on the trajectory to make sure that von Braun wasn't going to put something in orbit. So we had to shape the trajectory so that it didn't go go to orbit. But it got a lot of velocity, and they justified the program for uh, testing the uh, nose cone in high velocity. But it was actually a test of the first configuration that eventually took us to orbit. Over the years, and you gained more seniority, you're the head of these programs, your chief engineer. How did that change, and what did that change look like? When we went to the moon, we had thousands and thousands of people working on that project. And we didn't have support for that after we landed. Uh, the money was cut back. Uh, I think there were uh, several thousand engineers that worked at Marshall. So there was a big layoff. But my boss told me when they were cutting back, that my husband had a good job and they were going to take my job. 
And I said, Mr. Uh, Mandel, I don't accept that. And he said, well, there's not anything you can do about it. I said, you may be surprised. And he was, and I was too. I was very surprised. The fact was, and I learned this later, I found in, in while I was cleaning up, some correspondence to the head of NASA and the subheads all the way down to the centers that there was uh, mandatory uh, rules being in placed that they were not treating women well. And I, di I did not know that at the time because I figured I can find enough aggravation to keep them busy just on my own. But anyway, uh, that was, I think, the, the thing that turned it around. I've heard that scenario play out several times where women were approached during rifts, you know, reduction in forces, where they said, well, your husband has a job, you know, so, so why would you need a job? And so that's, that's such a common... Well, I told my boss, I'll divorce him and just live with him if that's a problem. I, I'm serious. I, I, he wasn't going to have my job. I had 16 years. I wasn't going to start over. And uh, I was just going to be a troublemaker if that's the way it was. But as it turned out, I never told anybody, if anybody approached me wanting to talk about it, I would not talk about it because I was keeping my end of the bargain. I was staying on the team, and my team was the number one prior to me. Now, I'm talking about it because I do think it's important to uh, illuminate how far we have come and how far NASA has come. Women probably still have to be a little bit better than their competitors or their coworkers uh, until they get known. When I got known, I never even, it never even crossed my, my mind that I was talking to some sexist. When I went to GPB, I did interview a guy. He was uh, a manager on a, on a space lab project, and he was not very diplomatic, and I think he was removed uh, because of that. He's, he's dead now. And uh, uh, he came to me to interview me for my deputy. So he come in, had a shirt that had Western, I don't know, Western shirt, and great big old belt buckle. He was a big, tall fellow, um, standing up as tall as he could be. I told him, come over and sit down at the table. And uh, he said, well, before I sit down, I just need you to know that I don't have never worked for a woman before. And I said, well, I hadn't either, so I really couldn't help you. <laughs> That was one of NASA's first female engineers, Dr. Joyce Neighbors, speaking with Brett Tannehill and Marshall Space Flight Center historian Brian Odom, who is also a member of the WLRH Community Newsroom. Dr. Neighbors passed away in February after helping blaze a trail for women in the professional world. And you know, that's what we're examining in this episode of the Public Radio Hour, how women are elevating their voices 
to become the best they can be. It's also a challenge women face in the music industry. In our final segment, J.Q. Ellis, one of the producers for our weekly local music show, Valley Sounds, leads a roundtable discussion with local musicians Judy Allison, Lana White, and Gloria Betts Caldwell. What are some of the unique challenges that you have faced, or what is one of the unique challenges that you faced um, involved here locally with the music scene, and how did you overcome it or address it? Lana? I don't know if I've really had a whole lot of challenges. I think I don't know if it has to do with being a woman or just being in the music scene, um, period. But, like, I guess trying to do um, original music in this town and being taken seriously and, you know, trying to generate a buzz about it and want, getting people to come and listen. Mm. Um, you know, c- trying to get venues to be on board with allowing uh, women to come in and do original music. Um, you know, kind of be a part of these of these endeavors that they, you know, like the, I know that they've had some um, some local singer songwriter contests and like I didn't know about it. And then I found right. out about it and I saw it was like mostly male. And I thought, well, I didn't know about this. So maybe like just spreading the news more um, and allowing more people to be involved. Judy, you work with women in music, and that's one of the things that you guys do is try to um, expose more females locally. What Mm -hmm. are some of the challenges that you've faced when it comes to that? Personally, my biggest challenge has been reentering the music scene as a manager and a promoter as a wife because um, that position hasn't been taken seriously just because I'm the wife of a musician and artist. So I've had to really prove myself in that way and uh, develop relationships that are solid with the venues and other people in North Alabama that, you know, the marketers and press, um, that I'm not just a wife taking care of business. I actually am a manager and a promoter doing that work. And so with the women in music has given me an opportunity to do it on my own that's beyond just my relationship. It's I'm helping other women to find their space where they can share their music and I'm finding myself as sort of a go-between, and I love that. It gives me a lot of energy to be able to shine the light on someone else and say, hey, look at this amazing talent we have in Huntsville. I'm so excited about it. Please listen. That gives me a lot of joy and a lot of energy to help push them and help other people get to know them, too. Gloria, you're a producer. You own a business, and you have a music business mm-hmm. as well. You've got all aspects of the challenges that it faced, not just as a musical person, but as a female and as a black female. What are some of the things you have done locally to help overcome that and pave the way for next generation? Um, Honestly, with us, because we're so diverse, we've reached out to other entities, um, like the counterparts of Judy sitting next to me. Um, She's a wonderful person, a wonderful role model. Um, I take a lot of people in and sit down and do individual conversations with them, um, free consulting, and talk to them about the ins and outs of things, especially being a woman, um, the challenges with being a woman, whether you're stepping out as an artist, as a producer, on the management side, you know, the challenges that you face, whether you're a African-American female or Caucasian female, Vietnamese, it doesn't matter what your like is. A lot of times like glass ceilings where the men are concerned, they view us differently, you know, um, on the business side. And I can speak from that more so than anything. Um, my challenge has been that I am a woman. So you have to be aggressive. Well, with aggressive as a woman, they take you as, oh, you're being emotional, mm-hmm. not being mm-hmm. emotional. I'm being the same business person that he's being 
but it's coming across as emotion because I am female. So you do have those challenges and those get kind of um, suppressed, but they're there. Do you find locally, and this question is for any of you, do you find locally as females that um, we tend to do more clicks versus more diversity even amongst ourselves locally? And and what are we doing to change that spectrum, especially right now? Yeah, I, I see it. I I see it more as a genre click than a social mm-hmm. click. It seems like the birds of a feather kind of flock together with, you know, the, your alternative or your pop or your rock and roll, punk. You know, this, those they they go together and they support each other really well, which is great. We have a really great um, punk and metal scene that a lot of people don't know about. Um that's kind of my hope with the women in music too. Bringing it back to that again is to highlight that and bring them all together in one spot. Well, I think like you know, I didn't know there were so many different genres and, and singer songwriters out there, and I have enjoyed getting to know those people and go and see them. Like for me, it was just ignorance. Like I didn't know, and I was I have been trying to connect with more people of different you know, backgrounds and uh, in music so that I can go and support them. So I think the women in music definitely helped with that. I have met so many people. And so a lot of it was just I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I don't even call them clicks because when I look around, I see men do the same thing, but they're not looking at it as clicks. I think, as you said, Lana, you kind of gravitate towards the people that have similarities, which we talked about in a branding session at one time. You surround yourself with people who like your sound, who like what you're working with, and you f- move forward with them because they give you more energy, you know, yeah. when mm-hmm. you get around those yeah, type of do. people. So click, I wouldn't call it a click. I would call it, hey, you get around people that have similar interests. Yeah. As Circles. You. Circles. Mm-hmm. But they're still out in the know with everyone else. So. Mm-hmm. I consider all of you women on this panel today an influencer and some history makers. You've been all of been doing this for a while. Locally, though, you cannot list a person that's in this room or on this panel. Who are some <laughs> of the top influencers, you know, and how have you interacted with them locally to share what you've done or to, you know, give them advice? Judy, let's start with you. <laughs> Well, I, I'm afraid I'm going to steal somebody else's. It doesn't matter. Know. There's so we many can, in this great we? city, and that's that's like, wow. I really respect Amy McCarley a lot because she's been able to do what she wants on her own. She's her own manager. She's her own artist. She has her own style. She writes her own songs. She goes on her own tour. She books them. She, she creates a presence about herself that is very professional. She doesn't get mixed up in drama. Um, she has um, really intriguing writing style, and she connects with people on many different levels, and I, res- I respect that a lot. She's one person I personally look up to in that area. Shout out, Amy! <laughs> Gloria, what about you? Top influencer. Mine actually is not even in music. It's um, L'Oreal Jones Pride. Um, she's an African-American female. She's... Uh, started off as, I don't know if e- she was even a student. She was very young. But she sticks to her guns about who she is, um, whether you like it or not. She's dipped in um, celebrity makeup. She started her own line of um, makeup. She's written books. She's gone through, you know, the death of her mother and other things. And I've watched her overcome that with helping with her little brother and getting married at even a young age. And I just think she is an awesome person. She's forged her way. 
and I've watched it from the ground up, and I lo- I've loved every moment of it. It's just speaks strength to me. So, L'Oreal Jones Pride. Yeah, shout out to L'Oreal. Mm-hmm. She was actually um, one of the women I interviewed for my very first History Happening Now Female Month. And to, to watch her grow in mm-hmm. three years and what she's been doing, you're right. She is one of the top influencers in this city yeah. as well. Amy, for sure. But Ingrid Marie, I mean, she's she has traveled and she's done a lot of commercial things. And um, I love that she does jazz. I really <laughs> respect her and um, because I've listened to a lot of her music and watched her music videos. And she does this like almost like a jazz pop fusion sound and that's different Mm -hmm. i mean she and i like i really enjoy her really enjoy her Mm -hmm. voice and what she does i want to know what you guys are doing as top influencers in our city to help pave the way or help to create opportunities for the next generation i wouldn't consider myself a top influencer however um like when we take all the names and kanita is near and dear to Mm -hmm. me that's my uh, little sister and my business partner as well but what you have to understand with everyone, they're, they're not one-stop shops. So I try to get with her and talk to her and make sure, hey, you are the best marketer for yourself. We can speak about you all day long, but until you can tell the world how great you are in a humble fashion, yes, it's, it's almost like the seal, you know, that are the stamp of approval on there. If you don't believe in you, no one else is going to believe in you. So, you know, what I can say that I do is I do take people that are more talented than I am, have more offer than I do, and I try to pour in them to let them know, hey, you need to brand yourself. You need to market yourself. You need to promote yourself. And if I can't do it for you, these are the people that you can get in touch with to get that done for you. So the best thing you can do is give them the resources that they need, even if you can't provide for them. So Mm, yes, that's good stuff. Judy, what about you? Same. (laughs) Um, I feel like I have a a strong heart for justice. I will speak up for the little guy, you know, really fast. I have a harder time speaking up for myself but I'm learning that the past few years to do more of that. And that, for me, as to think of being an influencer, like, you know, Gloria said, I don't think of myself as that. I think of myself more as a support person for other people. You know, I'm looking to myself to help myself get stronger. And in the same way, I'm helping other people to get stronger and to speak up for themselves, you know, that sense of justice in me rises up really quick. You know, like you need to um, promote your worth, like Gloria said, or you need to get paid what you deserve. If you're doing a job and that job takes this amount of hours and you have to prep for it and buy equipment, then you should be paid for that. And if you're going to be there, you also need to make sure you represent yourself well professionally for yourself and the venues and our city. You know, so that's, that's a big part of who I am. Women Uplifting Other Women. That was Valley Sounds producer J.Q. Ellis leading a Women in Music roundtable discussion with local musicians Gloria Betts-Caldwell, Lana White, and Judy Allison. Thanks to those ladies for sharing their adventures and challenges navigating the music industry. Thanks to the ladies at AL.com and the Women's Fund for Greater Birmingham. We're grateful for the legacy Dr. Joyce Neighbors left for women in engineering and for the efforts Mazda Toyota is making to achieve inclusivity and diversity at their plant. To Alabama women everywhere, we are strong, we are resilient, and we can do anything. 
And if you enjoyed this program, you can listen again on our website, wlrh.org. And happy belated Earth Day. Be kind and stay safe, everybody.